Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peach Tree's podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. The Hawks have lost a couple of games now since uh, Trey Young returned. We've had all sorts of uh, fun brouhaha stuff and a lot of injuries. Hasn't really been a fun week, Glenn, if you're a fan of the Atlanta basketball club. It feels like the Denver game was like three weeks back now. There's been two uh games that were so lacking in fun that it makes the Denver game feel like it was a, an eternity ago, which was a really nice win for them. You know, yeah, and so. I feel negligent. Like I just went out through the laundry list of things that stink and I didn't even like mention Bob Rathbun like yeah. falling ill on Monday's broadcast. It's like it's just a litany. It's been rough all around. Uh and and Bob's at the top of the list in terms of I know. Most important thing here for sure. But we don't have we don't have to fix Bob. Somebody's some, some professionals are going to fix Bob. Thank goodness. Yeah, for Bob's sake. I have band aids and aspirin. That's about all I got. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's start with the New York Knickerbocker game. Uh, we we see Dejounte's sprain uh, left ankle was left right. It was left. I think that's correct. Because RJ came in from the Liz left, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that was maybe three minutes into the game. 344. Wow, okay. Wait, what was it? I think it's 344. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, a little bit into the game, and then we, uh, the Knicks are kind of doing their thing, and Hawks are looking a little shell-shocked. Jalen Johnson's in foul trouble. The Hawks throw in a zone that kind of, patches things up for a while and then the second half things turn so where do you want to start in this uh, mess well I mean hopefully DeJounte's ankle is not bad and it sounded like there may not even be a need for an MRI um, or anything like that but as with all things like that you kind of see how it looks and feels in the morning right Um, which is for you me and well I'll speak for myself here which is an everyday occurrence for me. How much, how close to 100 do I feel at this age and every morning? Um, but no, I the it, you know first of all, the Knicks did not look like a team that came in with the worst three point shooting percentage in the league. I know Hawks fans are like, why does Julius Randle in the regular season make all of his threes against us? Quentin Grimes, who I think came in shooting like sub 30 percent, is probably one of the best 20 shoot, 25 shooters in the league. He can really shoot it. And he uh, knocked them all down tonight. And so the Hawks really didn't have much to kind of throw back at everything that was clicking and working for the Knicks tonight. Two of my biggest observations. One is 
Um, oftentimes when the Hawks go to the 2-3 zone, they'll actually put Trey on the bottom of the zone and not up top without right. DeJounte. They didn't have that choice. And as a result of that, in the third quarter, the way that the Knicks came out with a having had time to plan, they put Trey into a ball screen in his area of the zone. Every It was the first action on every single possession would separate that area of the zone and just go to work and kind of get everything that they wanted, which is one of the reasons you put Trey on the bottom on the baseline outside when they're in a two, three zone and the Hawks, like who, who do you put in? Like you have to have Trey on the court, uh, you know, for the offense, Trey's going to get his normal minutes and all that. So, so what do you do uh, on the positive side? Can you put anybody else with... up there though? Like, is there, is there a worse op? Like, can you put Trey in the corner still? Even if you don't have DeJounte? Um, so you I mean if I, my feeling is that if AJ were a little more experienced, maybe you have him up there. Uh Lloyd Pierce would love to have DeAndre up there. And Nate does that too. Sure. Know. Oh yeah. Um you, you just you have to have some size up there because there's so much space to cover, you know, where you have two up, up top and Trey, Trey's just lacking that. And then when you throw the ball screen in, Trey really has a little shot to kind of overcome that. Um, so good move by Tibbs and the Knicks to kind of throw, go right, even though the Hawks were in his own, still go right at Trey. Um, but on the other end of the court, as bad as the offense was tonight, and, and I didn't realize until after the game that Boogie was 3 for 16 and 0 for 10. Um, I mean, good. For, I, I'm happy that he just got a lot of shot, shots up. I think he's a veteran. I trust him to have a night like that and have it not bother him at all. But I think the positive on the other end was, despite how Poorly it was going. Trey never fell back to a tendency to kind of go ISO, try to do it all by himself. You know, I think he only ISOed, I would guess, maybe like twice. And it wasn't, I don't think either of them were like 10, 12 seconds kind of consuming the bulk of the shot clock with that. And so it looked to me like Trey was trying to kind of adapt to, you know, more constructive kind of offensive things. And to see him stay with that even while really nothing was working on that end makes me curious if like he's really committing to being one, one player of a group that has to affect this change that, that they would, Nate's comments lead us to believe they're trying to, trying to, to make. So those are my top observations from the next game. Yeah. To kind of play off a couple of those. You know, you mentioned Trey being at the at the top of the zone and the Knicks taking advantage of that in the third quarter. I thought the other thing that they did to take advantage of it was to just play with pace. They were getting into stuff before the Hawks would get back. I thought they kind of took advantage of Trey's transition defense, which isn't good. And, like, it's kind of a mixed bag. Like, it's on offense – there's everything's a continuum of basketball, right? Like everything ties into everything else. Mm-hmm. But like on offense, you know, they're going up against New York's defense. They're using Mitchell Robinson and he's kind of in a deep drop. So, you know, they're not bringing him up to the level of screen. There's, there's not a whole lot of help. So it very much feels like a, a two on two game for, for Trey and Clint trying to attack the defense. And, you know, Clint, Got some good looks. Trey had some some great setups for him. But when Trey was trying to get his offense, you know, he was 
it was, you know, a lot of runners, a lot of leaners at the rim, you know, in, you know, as, as Clint's diving, you know, he's trying to kind of get around a body and, you know, leverage an angled shot at the rim. Even that first shot of the game that he was kind of a, a twisted angling shot, not off a pick and roll, but he, he was just getting a lot of runners, a lot of shots at the rim. He's trying to draw contact for fouls. He's, He's taking a lot of blows and he wasn't getting a lot of shooting fouls. Even when, when he was getting fouled, they were, you know, it was side out of bounds. Uh, but he's taking a lot of falls and he's not getting back for transition defense. And it's, 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 he can be better. Like it's always, it's always a problem. It's a problem for every player in the league. You miss a layup, you fall down. There's a five on four advantage going the other way, but Trey's just particularly slow about it. And there's a lot of complaining to the refs, especially in the first half, but, in the in the second half, I just thought it really messed up their zone that he wasn't getting back. That there were times where it was just a quick attack, um, and you know they're trying to fill that spot that he's not in, and they just it felt like they couldn't get the zone set up the way they wanted a lot of times. Yeah, and that's that's a great observation. And one thing that's different about what the Hawks tried to do tonight than is I think widely normal. A lot of teams that are in a zone are in the zone after makes some dead balls, but not after any live ball sort of situation, a missed shot or whatever, turnover. But the Hawks were trying to get back to his zone even after off of misses and after live ball turnovers as best they can. I think that's incredibly hard. Um, you know, now the, the Knicks with Brunson, they don't play super fast, you know. Um, they, they have a big lineup, you know. Um, I thought, I thought the other factor tonight was the Hawks just missing a lot of their bigger players. You know? Jalen, like, Jalen just got so many fouls so quickly, and that there was just Randall nobody just after that. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, he kept getting caught for like the hold move. Like he would, he would try to front or get on the side to get a hand around, and they were just calling it every single time. They were being a stingy a lot of about a lot of different kinds of calls tonight, but like travels and then Jalen's little arm reach. They were just on that every time. They yeah, and I, think, and I think with NBA officials, sometimes it's like when you're going to do something like that, you can't halfway do it. Like that's when they're going to call the fouls when you have to do it. When you all the way do it, they'll kind of give you a chance to pull off the technique you're trying to execute or whatever. But it, it's funny though because, like, I'm, I think Nate talked about pace after the game, right? The, if I, I recall, so. so early in the third quarter, Jalen had that transition and one. I don't know if you remember that. It was like one of the first very early, the yes. Quarter. Yes. After that, the Hawks were up in fast break points five to zero. Which is, and then if when you think about how the whole rest of the game went, probably after that, um, that from there the Knicks were seven to zero fast break points. The rest that now we know pace doesn't only show up in fast break results, right? That's right. It, there's a whole lot more to it than that, but it's just kind of funny to think about the Knicks kind of pushing the pace, but it is one way to be the zone is, is it's, you know, race back before you get set when you're getting back and met and getting back to man, every NBA team practices over and over and over and drills over and over and over who's got ball, who's got rim. And then you kind of go from there. I, I don't think NBA teams get many repetitions of like, this is how we're going to scramble back again, get into a zone and get kind of matched up where we want. And man to man, you, you may end up with a guard on your big, on the rim running big, you know, and you kind of make it work in the zone. You're kind of going to your spot and it's much, much harder. And so, and you know, I'm curious why they felt like they wanted to get back to a zone, even after misses and live ball turnovers. That's a little, a little unusual for the NBA, in my view. 
what do we make of Trey shooting at this point? Like, I mean, I, I think that was part, I mean, again, like the continuum, like he had to, he had to try all these running shots, all these layups. Like he, it felt like he got some pretty good connections with Clint. There were a lot of patient drives. It's never like he got into full like ISO mode, but you know, he had to take sort of a lot of show, shots on the move. They weren't necessarily his patient floaters. They were more off to the side. And it just feels like uh, until his shot gets better, he's going to have to force more of that. But like what's missing in his shot? Like it just, it doesn't look right. Like it's not just the fact that he's missing. It's like some of the misses are, are way off. Like it's not rattling around the rim and coming off. It's grazing the side of the rim and taking a tough carom to the side. It's like, it doesn't feel like he's particularly close either. Yeah. It looks, it looks rough. I would say, um, I mean, two things come to mind. One is he just looks like a guy who's struggling to find a rhythm. And even when he gets his rhythm, he looks like a guy who's struggling to maintain the rhythm. I thought tonight one of the reasons he was so vocal with the refs is I think he wanted to use the free throw line to get a rhythm tonight. And, uh, I mean, it's it's not one of the top 15 reasons or whatever number they lost the game, but I thought the officiating was strange tonight. They were, I said on Twitter midway through the game, like, they're enforcing one half of the rule book, like to the you know letter of the law, and the other half they're completely ignoring. I thought Trey got hit on a lot of drives, yeah. And I think Trey wanted to use the free throw line to find. That's my guess, based upon what I was seeing there. And he he got almost no love at the free throw line tonight. No opportunity there. The other piece, I think the spacing is just a mess. I think they missed Gallo, you know, from that vantage point. But it, we have to remind ourselves all the time they came in top 10 in defense coming into tonight. And so there is a, an intentional trade-off there, but I think we have to kind of think about, you know, do they swing too far in kind of in that direction? Well, I think the injuries are a big factor too, though, because it's like, for sure, you look at the, at, you look at the game, like they had uh Randall guarding Jarrett Culver a lot of time. I wrote about Culver this week. Like he's done so many good things, but yep. they were more than happy. Anytime Culver took a three, like, I, you know, I, I kind of wanted to poo-poo the quality of some of the threes that the Hawks got, and then when I went back and looked at them. It's like, okay, some of them were kind of good, but like the ones even where Culver's wide open, that doesn't even feel like a good look. Like Randall wasn't really even guarding him at all, um, which you know that that's a little bit of a problem. <laughs> and again, it ties into the foul trouble for Jalen. Like you know, the rotation might have been a little different uh, if the foul trouble hadn't been there, but it's. You know, mi- missing Gallo is different when you have DeAndre Hunter out there. Missing Gallo is way different when you've got Jared Culver and Jalen Johnson out there who for sure aren't necessarily floor spaces in any capacity at this point. Yeah, although Jalen's made some shots yeah, recently. Yeah, he made one tonight. And, you know, yeah, he made, you know, so. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 tough. You know, I mean, you and I talked after the Denver game. And yeah, and even saw some more of this care of the Oklahoma City game that what Veet was doing and what Culver was doing in their opportunity was attacking space when the ball got to them. And that we we talked about you talked about Nate talking about wanting to play off the catch, you know. I mean, it was like it was like the Knicks were like, we're not giving them any space to drive on the weak side. We're just gonna sag in, you know, and protect the paint. And that's how you get Culver taking a, a few three point, you know, attempts. And yep. And even even Vit, um, I think he was I'm trying to think who was the only person that made one in the first half. Jalen Johnson made one in the f- first half, I think. 
Yeah, I think I think Vit was the first half of Jalen May. Oh yeah, yeah, Vit May went in the first half. Jalen yeah, was yeah. probably second half. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, which is just it's just kind of funny, but yeah, I th- I think you know, I think the roster is more like a Nate roster. Nate wants to coach up the defense. And he wants to have defensive capability, defensive talent, defensive uh, stuff to work with. And I think the spacing is 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 rough. I think. You know how much would it help if JC were shooting thirty eight percent from the three point line? Um, yeah, I, I don't know how much would it help if uh, Justin Holiday were a more consistent shooter. It's it's hard to know. Um, I don't worry about Bogey apart from is the knee good enough? Is the knees strong enough and solid enough? Um, I assume he's going to help. So you know, it, it feels to me like with this roster that the fifth. Big, if you want to say a person who, who doesn't have to play all the time, can play at center or power forward, and can shoot the basketball. It seems like that's kind of what this team needs is someone else to kind of throw into the mix um, when you need more more spacing. You know, it's I mean to use a recent example in, in a former Hawk like Mike Biscala, it provides so much spacing for Shea to attack when those two are on the court together for Oklahoma City, and to go from you know, no Gallo a few years ago, no Vince, you know, um, a couple of years ago, they even play like a Tony Snell at the four when you had solo solo, at least launch it when he was ignored and kind of wide open. It, it's harder to cultivate young players like Jalen to just, Hey, you have to fire that. I, I think of it as the D'Antoni kind of culture where one through four, if you're open on the three-point line and being ignored, you will shoot the basketball. That is a rule we have. And it's like why Carmelo couldn't play for D'Antoni in Houston is that he was making missing shots and started getting gunshot. It was like, D'Antoni was like, that's not going to work here. I don't care if you're Carmelo Anthony. And so I, I just feel like the number one issue impacting Trey's efficiency, I think, has to be the spacing. Um, And I think he does try to, when he doesn't have the rhythm, I think he tries to find a way to get to the free throw line with mixed results, depending upon how tightly the game might be called that night, which is a part of being in the NBA. Um, but I would think it, if Trey were being honest, if we could give him truth serum, I think it's, I think the spacing is a lot harder. Is there anything else we should be mentioning? Uh, any observation on kind of Trey's body language is, you know, anything that you're kind of coming out of the miscommunication that has caught your eye, or is it just kind of like just kind of wait and see if things in the in, in from a big picture standpoint go in a positive direction or if it's bumpy again? Any thoughts on kind of you see any different now than the last time we talked? I mean, Trey was in full defensive. I mean, I'm sure everybody saw the video, so it's not unique to me. I guess I saw it up close, but like the whole like, well, it's a private matter. Well, I mean. Right the underlying question was about him not being on the bench. So it's like, that's, that's an evident thing. That's not really a privacy thing, but uh, I mean, I thought like in the Oklahoma city game, like the overall team vibe was great. Like they were rooting for each other. They were trying to do right. Uh, Trey was in it in a good way with his teammates. His teammates were in it in a good way with Trey. So I I thought like the overall, uh, chemistry in that OKC game was was pretty good uh you know they they the overall play had some some issues but that that seemed like it had some good vibes tonight you know 
it's hard to even tell just because they were behind. I don't know that there was necessarily anything like, I don't know. It wasn't a competitive game and there are obvious reasons that we've already gone through why it wasn't really a competitive game. So it's harder to get a feel for it than that. I didn't see anything outrageous, but uh, I think on the whole, it was a good sign. Uh, I thought it might be a little touchy at the start of that OKC game and, and it wasn't, it was, things looked good. Yeah, yeah, good to hear. I it was it was strange when I, before the OKC game, I I never I never do this, but I happened to turn on early and they were showing the Hawks uh, basically warming up shooting as they do right, and all of the Hawks players were like in a group of two or three, kind of joking around or interacting, whatever. And Trey was on the left in the left corner, all by himself the whole time. The camera was on them. No one was saying anything to him. He wasn't interacting with anybody else, but some players want to be kind of left to their own. Sp- I, I don't know how normal. Yeah. I mean, like when normal. Trey comes out for his, I don't know about like in the five minutes before the game, but uh, like when he comes out for just like his warm up at six o'clock on a game night, Trey's wearing earbuds, like right. the little earbuds in his ear, which he might do pregame too. And so then it's he like, might. well, how do you communicate? You know, they, they might just kind of leave him to his own devices thinking that he's getting in his own mental space there. And like he warms up with John and they've, you know, I don't, it's always been made like, Oh, they, they have weird chem. Like Trey and John seem to get along pretty well. Uh, like an old married couple, like they, they're fine when they're out there and Trey's got his earbuds in, but you know, they, they interact, they have a routine. They do it the exact same way every same single time. Uh, and they don't get in each other's space, but they're out there and, you know, they'll shake hands and trail throw them an oop at the end and off they go. I mean, that, I don't know. Like, it, it, it wouldn't be shocked me if he had his, his earbuds in before the yeah. game, but maybe not. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I feel like both the last two games, he's probably been overpassing a little, like just a little bit, which maybe just at a, and the, tonight. Made, I, it's it's hard, I guess. I mean, it, like the whole way that New York played him, like they it felt like they wanted him to shoot. Like it was Trey, go get yours, and we're we're not going to let you get you know fourteen assists. This is going to be a game where you're going to have four assists, and if you beat us, you're probably going to need you know forty points. And if you have Mitchell Mitchell Robinson at center, that's what you want is you want little guys driving into his space, right? So that makes sense. But I, it, I and I didn't really mean that as a criticism. I think an overcorrection of sorts might be constructive. Like we're going to yeah. really go away from isolating and, and uh, over dribbling and isolation. We're going to really try to kind of almost force the ball movement and the ball sharing and things like that. So I, to me, it's like, even if it's um, resulted in increased turnovers for a couple of games and, um, and as such, if in the big picture, the net result is more ball movement, more ball energy as some like to say, you know, on offense with the movement, things like that. I think it's good, but I, I feel encouraged from a process standpoint on the court where I have no idea what's going on in the locker room and all that sort of stuff. It's almost impossible to know what's really going on there. But from a process standpoint, I think offensively has been better. Now they made no shots tonight and they made no shots in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma city. Against Oklahoma city, they played really well for three quarters, really, really well for three quarters. And then uh, Oklahoma City just played better in in the fourth quarter, um, and that happens, you know. So, I, I interacting with some Hawks fans after the game tonight. Obviously, a lot of fans kind of after a lopsided loss like that are are not feeling great. But to me, like if you kind of 
set the results aside for a second, I it looks to me like people are trying to kind of buy into we're going to move the ball more, we're going to move more on offense, we're going to create more energy and more motion and things like that, and we'll we'll see if that sticks kind of kind of going forward. Got the Nets next on Friday, and then I think the Bulls on Sunday, and um, you know, but it it looks to me like a team that's trying to affect change on offense to me, and I think that's encouraging. Yeah, that's fair. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's no, there's no like side business or anything we got to clear up tonight, right? That's pretty much no, it. Uh, hopefully, Dre's back against Brooklyn. Hopefully, we'll find out about Dejounte. John's gonna be a little while longer, so um, that's where they are. But no, 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 no Twitter questions that we ignore for five episodes like we normally do. We always forget yeah. in our in our in our age uh, and things like that. So no, I you know, there, and I looked tonight. They're still like fifth in the East. Like right, it's I mean, there's a there's like it's like half a game, teams. yeah. Between yeah, them, like, and it feels like, like there's twenty five teams like one to two games behind them. So it's all kind of scrunched up. But I mean, they're we keep saying this, but the defense has them where they are. If not for the defense, they would be looking at an uphill climb that, that would probably take a month to, to, you know, make that climb, if not longer, which is where they were all year last year. So lots to fix on offense. The defense has them in a spot where they're, they're not looking at such an uphill climb. And I think that's, I think that's something to feel positive about. So all they have to do is trade John Collins and then everything's fixed. <laughs> Absolutely not. it's funny i I agree i'm joking i for anybody that was wondering i am that's a hard joke because i think the the hawks have been at their best i got asked i got asked tonight to like would kyle kuzma be a better fit on offense i said for what i I think for what the hawks are doing right now i think he would be a better fit on offense i think i mean that's always going to be true though it's like is he a better fit overall though like no, like different. Which I I feel like it feels to me like people who are seem casual to want to kind of move JC. Like, man, I, I feel like people don't see what he's doing on defense and how much he's bringing on defense and how hard it is to find a power forward that can do the things that he does on defense. So let's Clint get a little further than the rim than he would otherwise be able to. Let's Clint impact. Uh, kind of one step from the ball screen if you need him kind of up there and you get that rebounding, you get that rim protection from the weak side. And I mean, Jay Crowder gives you zero of that. Kyle Kuzma gives you zero of that. Laurie Markkinen gives you, who's probably not even gettable, but just those are the names that are being thrown out there. Laurie Markkinen probably gives you half of what John gives you there. I, you know, you're like, Glenn, name another power forward who can give you what John, like, it's really hard to think of one. Really hard to think of one. And like I said a few minutes ago, if not for their defense, they would be 12th or 11th in the East and six, seven games out already and have this huge uphill climb. And John's defense, Clint's defense are what has got them where they are, where they're right in the thick of it. So, yeah, it's funny, the very first game of the season, I remember John had a really, really good game that first game. And I just tweeted, maybe stop trying to trade the good player. (laughs) Actually, um, I, I did think of one more thing that we didn't talk about that maybe we should okay. have. I'm not, not really looking for excuses. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. But uh, <laughs> yeah. 
due to dire, dire circumstances, the Hawks had to play a Kongu at the power forward spot tonight. What did you think of that? Um, well, I mean, I mean, they didn't look super prepared, you know, (laughs) it was probably something that they hadn't really practiced a whole lot in recent time. They just, they, the bodies ran out. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. I could have a long philosophical like explanation and what two things I think of when I think about the possibility of them playing together. One is don't hold me to this, but my recollection is when Nate had Sabonis and Miles Turner in Indiana, it took until basically year three before those two ever got on the court together. And then the playoffs, Nate reverted back to not wanting them on the court together. On the other end of the spectrum, like Bam Adebayo, who some people like to use as a comp for a, a Kongu, I see from I see from a skill template standpoint that kind of makes some sense there, but. Bam's rookie year, Spo would not put him on the court unless he were on the court with Kelly Olynyk, and Kelly Olynyk like talked Bam through everything on defense. Go here, you're here. here this is the rotation. This is the go get here. You know, and it was just, I mean, it was a fascinating process to watch. Like to the and and that, but Spo like his whole rookie year would basically not let Bam on the court without Olynyk. You know, and so it was like. Nate was there not wanting to put Miles Turner and Sabonis on the court together. Spo basically played Bam at power forward as rookie year. Um, for the most part. Uh and so it's just like it's just interesting to think like from a coach coaching process, like, you know, is he not being creative enough? Is he being smartly um kind of consistent? with kind of the, the rotation and kind of the, the defensive scheme and stuff. There's there's probably no right or wrong answer there, right? Um, but it seems like with John Hurt that it would help them to, if they could get some minutes there, would it work? And, you know, it, like with everything, it depends on how you deploy them. So I, I think this is a time to give it a try and see how it goes. I, I, I think while John is out, this is an opportunity for four or five games or whatever they have left to play with it and kind of see what works well, see what needs fixing. I think it's an opportunity, but that that's something like D'Antoni would do. And I'm not, I'm not this huge D'Antoni fan, but D'Antoni is like a, an innovator and let's try it. Let's try it. Let's try it. Let's try it. And that's a style coaching style. It's not all good. You know, Nate is on the other side, kind of like Tibbs, you know, where it's just like, nope, this is the plan. This is how we do it. You know, consistency and stability and, and all those sorts of things. And, uh, but, um, I, if they weren't in a zone, I wonder if it would have happened tonight. What do you think? I think, it, yeah, I think it could be interesting in a, in a non zone situation, you know. You've got to be really careful about foul trouble, but it, you know, try him on Randall with with Capella in the lineup with him, and you know, if there's any foul trouble whatsoever, you probably have to go away from it. But it would have been a look that would have been interesting. Uh, they really didn't have an answer for for Randall tonight, especially when he was shooting that well. But I, I, what's, I, he, I, what's that? What he's making yeah. pull up jumpers. Yeah, he's like running the four-one pick and roll with Brunson and the the inverted pick and roll and just walking up to the line and firing away and it's like 
I don't change my defensive plan because I ever. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I, but yeah, I I don't know. I, I have to go back and watch watch more to really get a see, but I don't know. It, it looked fine. It's good to see. Uh, I just, I'm not sure that there, it's not so much that it would have looked great. I just would have liked to see more to it just because there weren't a whole lot of other great options. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. With, uh, J- Jamie Bickerstaff would have already had Clint and Anyeka and JC out there at some point together, right? It's kind of, it's just kind of, it's kind of funny to see how different coaches take. I mean, you kind of don't need that when when Hunter is is helping at the rim as, True. as well as he is. It's, it is kind of like it's, they've had three bigs. It is, yeah. yeah it's a good point. Wow. Yeah, Hunter's been so such a good interior helper this year. It's been it's been phenomenal, and he showed flashes of that before. Um, I still remember playing that New York series before he got hurt, where he basically. Well, they had three or four positions in a row where he ended up playing center on defense, you know, and and was he's bigger than a lot of small ball fives are, you know, he's bigger than PJ Tucker, just you know, to start bigger than a Congo, <laughs> bigger than yeah, bigger than a Congo. Good point, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is this isn't a referendum on Nate. We've talked about how we feel about Nate, and we, we I've talked about what I feel like Nate's strengths are, what he does differently than other coaches, and just kind of uh, winging it and kind of trying new things is is just not his. It's just not. His style, so it's it is what it is. He's not experimenting. Nope. Oh. Right. Have a good night, Glenn. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good night.